It's lovely to see you all. Good to be here, good to be together. And uh, yeah, as Andy said, I have the privilege of launching uh, the series that we'll be looking at this autumn. Greatness up there, thank you very much. Brilliant. Good. Why don't we just start by praying? Yeah. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to be in our presence. Spirit of God, would you, we welcome you here. Be with us, we ask. And Spirit of God, would you speak to each one of us? We pray that we'd uh, encounter you, Jesus, as we hear from your word. Lord, would you transform us into your likeness, we pray. And Lord, I pray that you just open our hearts to receive all that you have for us, all that you want to put and place on our hearts here this afternoon. Jesus, we want to be more like you. We want to image you and represent you well in all that we do and all that we are. We want to give you the thanks. We want to give you the glory. So presence yourself with us, we ask. And be with us this afternoon. Amen. Amen. In my preparation, I just felt like I just wanted to start by saying, I want you to know that God loves you. He wants you to know that he loves you and that he cares deeply for you. God loves you. It was 2010. Emma and I had been married for about a year and a half in that honeymoon stage of life. We'd only a few months earlier purchased and moved into our new house in Chinnam. To top it all, we were expecting uh, our first baby, our first child, uh, to be born in March or the April in 2011. Little did we know how life was going to change. Uh, life was in many ways rich. There was much joy and our lives felt full. And then one day, I just remember being in my lounge at home. Emma was at work. And I suddenly felt this wave of anxiety overtake me. It felt like it had invaded my body. My heart, was beat, uh, my heart felt like it was beating through my chest. And I had this urge to want to escape somewhere away from this feeling of anxiety. I don't recall all the, of the lead up to it, but I remember that moment quite clearly. For me, that intensity was a one-off experience, but for quite some time, I struggle with bouts of anxiety, and occasionally I still do. I could sometimes recognize a cause or a trigger, but sometimes it would simply pounce on me out of the, out of the blue, and I'd feel anxious. So in the immediate, I decided to take steps to look after my well-being. I remember going to the doctors to make sure that it was, in fact, anxiety and nothing else. I discovered that a trigger was drinking coffee, caffeinated coffee. And I loved coffee. But I had to make the decision to begin to drink decaf coffee. And it made a difference. And I could tell you, when I had a caffeinated drink, particularly in the mornings before I had anything to eat, it would make me feel funny, and I'd start feeling anxious. I'd feel the anxiety coming on. I made the decision to exercise more and go for walks. 
I'd practice even breathing exercises when my anxiety was coming on. Like a good Christian, I obviously prayed, and I shared it with close friends. And over the years, I've had to ensure that I look after my own well-being in other ways. You know, I try to exercise. Through the prompting of others, I've had to mostly stop my midnight work emails. I tried to practice the discipline of Sabbath where I put aside my work for a day to rest, to worship, to play, to spend time with family. I tried to check in with friends. I've learned that self-care, taking care of my well-being, is important. I'm sharing a window of insight into my own life and journey around well-being. But without doubt, many of you will have your own stories, you'll have your own experiences, and you'll have your own journeys that you're on. We all have mental health. We all have well-being. What I guess varies from person to person and season to season is how our mental health and well-being is. Whether we're in a season where life is full and rich and full of joy, or in a season of pain, and down in the depths of life. Or quite possibly we were bobbing along somewhere in the middle. <laughs> we all have mental health. We have, all have well-being and self-care to attend to. And there have been many uh, national in- initiatives in recent years to raise awareness of well-being and also to help people. I noticed again that ITV has started, their, uh, started playing adverts for their Get Britain Talking campaign. A few years, years ago, Instagram launched their hashtag Here For You project to raise awareness of mental health. And of course, it's not just ITV and Instagram, it's other media outlets, numerous uh, charities, individuals, the NHS, all working to contribute to a better understanding of well-being and mental health and to help signpost and support people towards improving their well-being. So if media outlets, charities, and the NHS are doing something, what about the church? What does the church have to say into this space? And when I ask that question, I'm not suggesting the church should or even can be the only voice. There are many organizations, many charities and services who have far more experience, far more knowledge and essential expertise in this arena, arena that many of us do. But I think it's an important question uh, to ask. What sound, what action does the church need to contribute into this space? Does God have anything to say on this? I think the answer is that yes, God has something to say on this. The church has something to model to the community and something to serve the wider community with when it comes to well-being. I'm going to share today, firstly, a little of what the Bible has to say in terms of who we are and who God has made us to be as people. We'll also briefly look at whether well-being or wholeness matters to God and why we're talking about it in church. So for that, I want to begin by turning briefly uh, to the first pages of our Bible and the book of Genesis. 
For those new to the Bible, the book of Genesis sits right at the front and beginning of our Bible and forms what is part of the Old Testament. And just to remind us, uh, we turn to the Bible not because no one outside the Bible has anything good or important to say. They absolutely do. We turn to the Bible because it is the lens through which we as Christians are called to see the world. The Bible is God's story which he is drawing us into, and in which we find our own stories. The Bible helps us interpret, helps us live in and respond to the world around us as followers of Jesus. And within our culture, there are many stories being told which try to draw us in. And in our role as followers of Jesus, sorry, and our role as followers of Jesus is to do our best to try to see the world, to see creation, to see people the way that God sees them, and to live out God's story as disciples the best we can. And that's why we come to the Bible. But back to Genesis. The early chapters of Genesis, uh, chapters 1 to 3, poetically reveal the story of God's creation. It includes the creation of the heavens and the earth, the forming of humanity from the dust, And it tells the story of humanity's rebellion against God. But these opening chapters also reveal to us something of who God has made us to be. In chapter 1 and 2, we learn that God creates a physical and material world. And this is called good. We're also introduced to the formation of humanity from the dust both male and female, to which God describes as very good. We are not made as simply spirits hovering around, but as physical beings with flesh and blood bodies, which are created in God's image and are called very good. So we are physical beings. We see that we are also vocational beings and we're stewards. We're given a purpose and a role and called to be stewards and rule over God's creation, God's good creation, which also includes our work. So Genesis 1 and 2 use phrases and words like subdue, rule over, fill the earth, work it, take care of it, to refer to humanity's mandate in God's good creation. So we are vocational beings, and we're called to be stewards. We're created, too, to be relational beings. We're created in the image of God, whose very nature is relational. God exists as Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And we see a God who, in Genesis chapter 3, is said to be found walking in the garden in the cool of the day. He's a God ready to commune with his people. Both male and female are created by God with the mandate to multiply and fill the earth. We are created to be relational beings, both with God and with other people. And of course, we are also emotional beings. Even in these early pages, we're told about humans having emotions, At the end of Genesis chapter 2, which is the retelling of the creation story with a more earthly perspective, we are told, uh, following the formation of the man and woman, that Adam and Eve 
sorry, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. That's 2.25. But after the man and the woman act in disobedience to God, the consequence is that they become suddenly aware of their nakedness and they feel the need to cover up. The implication being, of course, that they felt shame. And emotion is everywhere in the Bible, including in Jesus. Just read the gospel stories. We are, in cre- we are created to be emotional beings. So right in these first few pages of the Bible then, we can see that right in the fabric of who we are, of who God has created us to be, yeah, humanity is physical, humanity as physical beings, as vocational beings. We're called to be stewards, relational beings, and emotional beings. Among other things, I'm sure, but those are the ones I'm drawing out today. Speaking in reference to uh, Genesis 2.25 that we looked at a minute ago in relation to emotions, Old Testament scholar Bruce Walkie says this, In this ideal state, man and woman view their person and sexuality with wholeness and thus feel no shame in their nakedness. Walkie talks about the ideal state with the man and woman viewing their person with wholeness. Prior to the human's act of disobedience, there is wholeness. Maybe we might say wholeness in terms of well-being and shalom, peace. Yet many of us know the story, don't we? Humanity rebels, acts in disobedience, and as a consequence, things change immediately. Wholeness and their view of their person becomes fractured. There is consequence for their bodies, for their emotions, for their stewardship and vocation, and for their relationships. The good news is that at the other end of the Bible, at the other end of God's story, as told in the Bible, is the future reality that restoration will take place for the whole of creation, including for humanity. We will experience newness and wholeness again in our person, in our relationships with God and with others and with all creation. The reality is that we're not there yet. We know that. We feel that. The Bible tells us that. We know that we're not living in complete wholeness. The world around us is fractured. And we know we are fractured too. Our bodies wear down and sometimes falter. Our emotions can skyrocket and plummet. Our relationships can break. Our work can overtake us. Maybe we lose meaning and purpose. heard me speak before, I'm sure you have. Uh, Cue the obligatory Eugene Peterson quote. (laughs) I've used this one before, but I think it's really encouraging and affirming for us as broken human beings. I love it. One of the wonderful things to me, he says, about the Bible is that there really are no heroes. They're all full of people like us doing stupid things, and they're still in the story. Nobody gets ejected. Whether or not you're doing stupid things or simply suffering through no fault of your own, the good news of the Bible 
is that God uses people who are broken and who are fractured. He uses them to build his kingdom. Amen? And the very good news is that God breaks into this fractured and this broken world in the person of Jesus in order to bring healing, restoration, shalom, and wholeness. We may or may not experience full healing or restoration in the present, but the coming of Jesus, his death and his resurrection serve as the promise of our complete healing and restoration to wholeness in the life to come. And we, the church as Jesus' body, have a role to play through the empowering presence of the Spirit to be vessels of hope and God's peace, his shalom in the community. I want to show you something. I want to show you this. It is a shattered glass decorative bowl. It's made up of uh, tiny, loads and loads of tiny bits of shattered glass, which are, I guess, fused together somehow into this beautiful piece. Whether you think of it individually or as a church, I feel like we're this bowl. We're cracked and we're broken. And maybe our brokenness and hurts won't disappear like this bowl. Yet God is forming us and he's shaping us, you and me, as those broken and fractured into something whole and beautiful and for purpose. We might be broken, we might be shattered, but God's forming us into something beautiful and with purpose. So, I want to say a little bit about our focus for this term. Our last series, which was during the spring and summer term, explored the character of God. We used God's self-revelation of his character from Exodus 34 as a launch pad to explore God's character and who he is and how he interacts with his creation, including humanity. So having looked at who God is then, we felt it would be good to start to look at who we are through the additional lens of well-being. So we're calling this series Well-Being, Finding Wholeness as Children of God. We've chosen to track similar themes from the Well-Being Journey course, uh, so there is some connection. However, we've tweaked our approach so that we're primarily reflecting on who God has made us to be as children of God, as we saw earlier in Genesis 1 to 3, and how we can find wholeness and well-being in God in light of that. So what our Sunday was going to be looking at, or going to be looking like, we're going to be uh, talking about being stewards. We're going to talk about physical beings, emotional beings, relational beings, vocational beings, and then finally, you hopefully will get to hear some stories and testimonies from some of us 
who have uh, maybe something, a story or a testimony to share, whether it's through what you've encountered, yeah, whether you've encountered God through this series, or maybe it's a story you've already already had and been through that you want to share with the community. We hope to finish this series with some stories and testimonies. Um, some who may be familiar with the uh, Wellbeing Journey course will note that we're not, we aren't doing a session, individual session, on being spiritual beings or, or spiritual well-being, as the course calls it. It's not because we disagree with the concept of being spiritual, of course not, uh, but more because we see the spiritual as being intertwined or inseparable from the rest of life. Whilst we might label going to church or uh, reading our Bible or praying as spiritual activities, we believe that going to work, that raising children, that homemaking, socializing with friends, walking, should also be seen as spiritual activities in which God is interested in and in and through which we can encounter and grow in God. You'll hopefully be aware that in addition to the Sunday series, and Andy mentioned it earlier, we also have the Steps course running, uh, which Rob spoke to us about last week. And we have the Wellbeing Journey course, which starts at the end of the month and is hosted by Graham and Debbie Essex. Please do consider signing up for either of those courses. I think we also have one or two of our existing small groups who are looking to do the Wellbeing course as well. And that's great. Um, in addition to the well-being course, we also have, in my bag of goodies here, a, um, a well-being journey book, um, which is a kind of a 50-day devotional journey which walks through the same key areas of uh, the well-being uh, as the course does. Um, we have a few copies here with us today. Um, they are available. You can either borrow them, or if you would like your own copy, then they are five pounds. Uh, but you're more than welcome to borrow one. That's absolutely fine. Um, we have a number of uh, copies here today. So please come and find me. We'll try to have them available on other Sundays as well. Okay. So what's our hope with this series um, and our focus on uh, well-being this term? What might we want to realize uh, through and in doing this series? So firstly... Firstly, we want you to realize, we want to realize that God loves you. In this community, in this place, and amongst this people, it's okay not to be okay. God loves you. And if I may speak uh, on behalf of this community, on behalf of us, I'd want to say, we love you. Secondly, I hope that through this series and exploring what God has to reveal to us through the Bible, we might see and realize the people and person God has made us to be. That there might be some revelation in terms of our identity in God and that how looking after ourselves, self-care, is part of finding wholeness, finding shalom in God. I want to say that exercising self-care should not be seen as taking matters into our own hands or a lack of trust in God. I'll show you a clip now from an episode of the Sanctuary Course, which I think helpfully and redemptively speaks about self-care as an extension of love from God. to the bodies and the minds and the spirits that God has given us. 
Instead of seeing self-care as something that is selfish or takes away from the work that God is doing in the world, we can think of it as an extension of how God wants to bring love into creation. So thinking about self-care as a way to actually be more loving in the world is, is just an extension of offering to ourselves the love that we offer to so many other people. Self-care can be a way that we prevent mental health issues. It can be a part of tending to ourselves to make sure that we have balance, that we are cared for, that we are loved, that we are getting all of the things that we need to meet the demands of life, employment, relationships, and just this being human. But self-care can also be one of the things that we notice is missing when there are mental health issues, particularly acute ones. Some people actually need to learn how to care for themselves in very basic ways, realizing that their bodies deserve care, that their hygiene deserves care, that they're allowed to take breaks from work instead of working all of the time. So we can see self-care as a really important ingredient in recovery from mental health issues, but also the prevention of them. God has called us to flourish in our health, in our relationships, in our emotions, and we can't really do that without taking care of ourselves. When I'm working too much and not taking enough time, it's because I'm trying to fill something within me as opposed to giving that up and actually trusting that, yes, Christ can provide it's not all up to me. I really do find what they have to share to be redemptive in how we can trust God, but also exercise self-care as an extension of God's love and movement towards flourishing. That's quite powerful, at least to me anyway. Thirdly, throughout this series, we will be aiming to share with you some practical ways that uh, can help look after our well-being. It's important to say, though, that we, that we want to approach any practical applications or suggestions with sensitivity. We recognize that just saying, spend time praying, or just go for a walk, or just talk to a friend, will likely not solve your well-being. For some like me, going for a walk has helped. However, for some of us, we may have exercised self-care in a particular area really quite well over many years, but we still struggle in that area of our lives. Our hope is really that by sharing some practical ways that, that we can exercise self-care, that we might find some things that can help us. And I also want to add up front that some of us delivering these messages on Sundays may not be experts in the particular topic that we're talking about. And therefore, we want to be cautious in the sharing of any advice. Some will have good experience and valuable wisdom to share, but we're not mental health professionals. As preachers, we're trying to keep that in mind. Please keep that in mind as listeners too. We can share biblical perspective and share experiences, including how self-care might have helped, but it may be we need to signpost to resources or professional services where you can find information or help you might need in any given area. And fourthly, our hope for this term, 
that through this series, we as a community can become a beacon of light, a safe place, and a place of hope both to each other and to the community around us. And practical, look, getting in there with a practical right from the start. As we begin our journey this term, giving specific focus on well-being, can I please encourage you to consider the following? Can I encourage you to ask God to show you any areas of your life that need some self-care or some building up? I encourage you to consider and pray into whether it would be beneficial for you to sign up to either the well-being journey course or the steps course. And more details you can find on Church Street. Please pray for us as we, as a community, as we explore this topic, this term, that we might all take steps to improve our well-being, and that we might become a beacon of hope for the community around us, and specifically those who struggle with their well-being. And fourthly, you know, if you are struggling with your well-being, please talk to someone you trust. Or please find one of the leaders. Even if we're not experts, as I said earlier, in the area you're struggling in, a friend can listen. And if necessary, help you find the right support network that you need. By way of closing, may you know that God loves you. That God cares for you. That it's okay not to be okay. God loves you. And so do we. <laughs> so the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.